1: Joining us now via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. just incredible numbers he put up. The game winner from 50, a part of a day in which he hit five field goals, four over 50 yards, which was a record from the Colts. Of course, I'm talking about in that win over the Ravens, place kicker Matt Gay. Hey, Matt, thank you for the time. How you doing?
2: Good, man. How are you doing?
1: I want to hear a little bit of story and a little bit of background. You had mentioned after the game, after that win, that for that final kick, you black out and your sole focus is kicking the football nothing else gets in your mind gets in your focus do you do that for every kick or was that for that particular game winning opportunity there
2: uh, i try to i try to make it for every kick um there's definitely been kicks where there's more going on or i remember more or um you know certain things are there but when i've been in those zones or certain things it's it's kind of hard to explain but I, I, I say blackout because, like, I literally, the snap goes and I couldn't, I can't remember the ball hitting my foot or what happened or the snap, you know. I just kind of, I don't remember what really happened. And then I'm in my finish or I'm looking up at, at the where the ball's going. And um, generally in those zones or that area is when, you know, things are going generally pretty well.
1: It's uh, Matt Gay of the Colts with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I mean, it was amazing watching all five of those go in, but certainly the final four, which uh, was from 50-plus in, in that win. Is that a part of your routine? Do you have a specific routine each and every time that you're out there, or it, can it vary? Because I, I know this. I know you're probably routine uh, by choice, compared to where you are right now with the success you've had. But is there a specific routine that you have?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, game days are, you know, I try to keep it as similar as I can and do the same thing every single time um, yeah. from when I get to the stadium and um, go through that whole routine. As far as my kicking routine, I move my move back. Sometimes it, it'll vary a, a kick or two depending on how I feel or the way the warm-up's going. Um, but pretty much i mean it's it's pretty similar. I try to keep the same routine for every game, stretching you know routine when I get to the stadium, going out on the field um Try to keep it uh, pretty similar and pretty same routine. How
1: much of of that success, and especially what we saw on Sunday, how much of that is just operational? Because so much has to go right in those moments in which you make kicks like that, especially when it's seemingly to us and my eyeball so perfectly going straight through the uprights. How much of that is also just a part of a fine-tuned operation that you have on the field?
2: I mean, that's that's everything. I mean, having a – a good snap and hold is key, being able to have a good snap. So from Luke, that Rigo can catch laces and put it down quick so I can see the ball, having the right lean on the ball, the right lean for certain conditions, certain wind, the lean will change. And so communicating that and having Rigo be able to get the hold down, you know, just how it's supposed to be. And all those other guys, those big guys up front blocking for me, I mean, you have one leak in protection and you get that kick block. So to have all those guys – you know take a beating up front and be able to block for me is is huge and then having that fine tune operation with luke and rego being able to be seamless and have them snap laces and get the ball down and uh with the right lean and everything especially on those longer kicks that's it's it's important because there's more room for it to drift or variation and so that's i mean more than anything that's that's a huge part of the reason why that happens and why those go in is because is of those guys. Hey
1: Matt, do you approach a kick differently when it's of that distance, when it's fifty plus, as you made four times on Sunday?
2: Uh, I try. I try not to. I try to keep it the same routine. I think when you get back in those farther kicks and you look at like, oh, okay, I gotta yeah. put a little extra into this, and or I gotta change this. That's when stuff tends to go wrong. Or again, like that's when I'm I'm thinking about things too much or I shouldn't even be having those thoughts so I try to be when I'm in that zone or when I'm smooth is generally when I hit the best balls. it's like it's like a golf swing when when you try and crush it sometimes things go wrong if you're smooth and you make good contact on the ball is when the ball flies and so when I'm smooth and I'm in those modes um the ball generally flies better than, than it does if I'm trying to really crush it.
1: Uh, we, we certainly love basketball around here. Matt Gay of the Colts joins us, by the way, on the Andy Moore Automotive group Hotline. And we know this, jump shooters get in a, a zone. Is that similar to your zone? And I, I guess, how do you know that you're in it, especially at the early stages of a day like you had Sunday, Matt?
2: Yeah, I think you just get the confidence. I was able to hit the the shorter one earlier in the game, and it, it felt really good. Um, came off the foot nice, and then it's just something kind of in the sideline where you know fans are yelling at you, and <laughs> you're turning around, and I'm I'm you know having a laugh with them on the sideline, and they're trying to get you to miss, and they're yelling shank as you're kicking into the net and all that stuff. And it's it's I'm more of a relaxed mode and. Again, you don't really remember much. It's it's like they call a field goal. You jog on, you kick it, and you jog off. And there's not much thought to it. And so that's really it's the less thinking for me, the better. And so when I'm in those modes, and I can enjoy the game, and I can kind of be calm or at peace um, when I'm just you know letting my subconscious and my body do what it knows how to do, and just running on, kicking, running off. That's kind of when I'm in that the best the
1: best part. That's routine too and I love it because you just said you don't want your head to get into the way. Brother, that's all of us right there. That's every one of us, no matter what we're doing. (laughs) Don't let your head get in the way. Matt Gay joins us of the Colts and obviously the 450-plus yarders and the five overall, and the Colts win on Sunday. And a lot was made, Matt, going into that game of the weather conditions, the tropical storm that was coming in. What were the conditions like? It it didn't look like it was that bad out there, but, hell, I couldn't tell. What was it like?
2: No, I mean, especially all things considered – what we had heard going into the game, tropical storm, windy downpour um the conditions were i mean I'd take those conditions with with under the circumstances any day um we got a little a little wet in the first half and it came back the second half it was raining, it was coming down the warm ups and stuff the balls were slick, and the field was a little soft, but for the most part, I mean the wind kind of calmed down and um it wasn't too too wet where the balls got wet or the field was too soggy or anything like that. So it was uh, all things considered going into it with a tropical storm warning. It was uh, was pretty good.
1: Did you watch Justin Tucker's potential game-winning kick? I did, yeah. Did you think it was through?
2: I thought it was. I mean, even when you look back on it, it hit a great ball. I mean, that ball is right down the middle, good rotation. Um, Again, sometimes sometimes some of those conditions and those things that can affect – certain things i mean it's certainly not a leg strength issue for him and so uh it just you know was i thought it was a great kick i thought he had it and sometimes it just goes that way
1: maybe it was a little gust from the gods there at the very end of it that matted that down just a little bit it's a mad gay with us your head coach shane Steichen said after the game and this was regarding the team that was a game that was a win built on resiliency and I've looked at your career. Obviously, you had a stop here on the practice squad prior to now and then started your career as a fifth-rounder in Tampa. Is that kind of how your career has been, built on resiliency as well?
2: I think so, too. I think for anybody that, you know, has done anything that they're proud of or done anything in their life where, you know, it it never goes seamless or it never goes easy. There's always something that gets in the way, and it's hard and – it's, you got to be kind of relentless, as as Shane says, and um, resilient. Generally, when things are pushing against you is when you're close or when things are going right, and so you just got to keep going. And so I think some of those times, especially looking back now, it's hard to understand in the moment, but when you look back at getting cut from Tampa and my time on practice squad here um, was probably some of the, the best things that could have ever happened for me. Um, going through those hardships and being able to – keep going and you know, learn a lot about yourself and who you are and why you're doing what you're doing to just keep going and, and keep staying with it and trust the process, trust God. And, uh, I think most people in their life when they've had those, those wins and some of the successes would say that the same thing is just sticking. I mean, just not giving up and keep going and, like you said, kind of just being resilient in some of those tough times.
1: Well, I'm just assuming this. I'm assuming that's that's why you're the kicker that you are right now. How, how difficult was the early stages of your career, Matt, to go through?
2: I mean, it was really tough. I mean, things go well at Utah. I mean, I, I tr- was the soccer player and I transfer over to go to Utah and start kicking, and things go really well. And then the next year, things go really well, and then I get drafted, and so first year in the NFL was my third year kicking and it had been two really good years with not a lot of, not tons of adversity. You miss some kicks and things go wrong and you got to figure that out. But just figuring out that first year in the NFL, that rookie year, and kind of going through some of the things I did. I missed a game winner early in my career in Tampa, Um, had a couple rough games. And so you go through the ups and downs and then you get cut and... Some of that stuff is it's tough. It takes a toll on you. You wonder why you're doing what you're doing. Is this the right choice? Was this um, the right path? But then like I said, being able to have, you know, family, my wife who was able to be so supportive and my family to get me through those times and then again, I think you just look back, it's hard to understand at the moment, but when you look back, you really do see, you know, God's hand in every step of the way. And sometimes those things that you don't think are that are really hard or You know, you wanted something, but you didn't get it. God always has something better for you. And so just trusting that plan, trusting his will against my own and being able to lean on those close to me and my family, I think those are, you know, kind of what got me through some of
1: those tough times. And Matt Gay joins us. How much more gratifying has it been with your, your Super Bowl success with the Rams? You know, obviously the Colts reaching out and prioritizing you in the offseason to bring you here, and then most recently on Sunday with that game-winning kick and four from 50. From what you went through early in your career, how much more gratifying has it made it knowing where you are right now, Matt?
2: Uh, I mean, it's Uh, a hundredfold. I think if you just look at, if something's easy and given to you, it's, you don't appreciate as much as something, you know, you kind of worked hard for or had to struggle for. And, um, I think just looking back, like I said, none of that stuff happens if I don't kind of go through the hardships, like none of the stuff in LA winning the Super Bowl doesn't happen. If I stay in Tampa and who knows what happens with what contract I get and where I am. So I think, all the stuff that I went through has led me to be blessed enough to have the success I had in LA, be blessed enough to get the contract I got here to be able to provide, take care of my family and some of those things. Um, those hardships are the the times that you look back on and, you know, you're proud that you came through those and fought through them. And those are stuff you look back for, you know, the rest of your life with you and your, your spouse, you and your family to be like, Hey, we came through that tough time and we, we didn't fold. And, you know, we trusted ourselves. We trusted God, and, you know, he He got us through it. And just be proud of those moments.
1: Matt Gay joins us. How good of a soccer player were you?
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was a
1: uh, – No, it's okay. We're, we're all honest here. Yeah, I mean, if tout yourself if you need to tout yourself.
2: So without – I mean, I don't want to – yeah. Without – I was pretty good. Okay. I spent some time with – the U17 national team. So I played for USA for a little bit for a little bit. Um, was able to, you know, play Division 1, have some success there, um, have a couple you know, tryouts and go practice with Real Salt Lake a couple times and uh um, had a lot of success at the club level and with the ODP level again being able to spend some time with the U17 national team. So uh, I, was, I was pretty good, I would say. Uh, I love it. Soccer's my first love, and I still love it. And so that was some time that I, I always look back on, and I still miss it and still love it and still you know follow the game closely.
1: I, I'm assuming, Matt, that you probably had that, that moment, that signature moment where you said, hey, you know what, I could do this place-kicking for a living in the NFL. Was there a signature moment in soccer where you said, you know, maybe this is kind of the, the end of the line for soccer here? Did you have a signature moment there, too?
2: For sure. Um, I was in college, I was playing, I played my freshman year, I went on a, an LDS mission, and then on, upon return from my mission, I was not in soccer shape, let's say. It. I was a little bit bigger and you know, I gained some weight and was struggling that season that I came back and things were not going the way they had always gone for me, me in my soccer career. And I someone mentioned to me, like, hey, have you ever thought about kicking? I, I know a couple people, someone at Utah, if you want to. And that thought really stirred with me, and things weren't going right in soccer. And so that's kind of the moment where, like, okay, I might, you know, be done here and had a conversation with my soccer coach and made the decision to to hang it up and, you know, go and pursue kicking at Utah, and, or kicking anywhere, really, at the time, and then was able to get a walk-on spot at Utah, and uh, that's kind of the decision that was made in the process. Uh,
1: Matt Gay joins us, uh, the Colts. Colts, by the way, get the Rams, his former team, coming up on Sunday at 1 o'clock at Lucas Oil Stadium. Were you surprised at all that a team where you'd been a part of it on the practice squad back in 2021, that team being the Colts, came at you as hard and prioritized you to the level, Matt, in which they did in the off season.
2: Um. A little bit. You never really know what's out there or, you know, what what teams, what situation they're in with money and things that are going on. And so I do know that I really enjoyed my time here um, when I was here on practice squad. I got along with the guys well. Chris Ballard was great to me, um, the conversations that we had. Um, it just didn't work out at the time. And they had a kicker that was doing well for them that, that year. And so um, I do know that once the Rams decided not to sign me and free agency kind of hit that this was maybe a destination because of my time spent here. And so those conversations were had between me and my agent early on. And then when things kind of heated up and we were able to talk to people here, things started to kind of heat up a little bit more. And so that was kind of one of the couple destinations that we we had pointed at um, as me coming back here.
1: What's going to be your feeling on Sunday with you know, the team? Obviously, it's an old team of yours. Yeah. But you had Super Bowl winning success there. What's going to be your feeling at Lucas Oil Stadium Sunday, Matt?
2: I mean, I think there's I had nothing but good times um, for me in LA. I mean, had the success. I share a lot of memories with a lot of those guys on the team, and so I'm looking forward to you know seeing them, catching up with them. There's no hard feelings. I think. Um, getting out there early, be able to say hello to the people and say hello to the guys and, you know, talk to them and reconnect. Um, but again, um, I'm a Colt and we're going to go out there and win that game. And so I want to do what I can to to help this team win. And so once the hellos are said and the reconnection's had, I'm going to get back to my warm up and get going. And so um, but nothing but respect and love for those guys and my time in L.A. What do
1: you think about this team that uh, you're a part of right now? 2 and one of the season so far. Not a lot of people suggested that they were, they were going to be, you know, a higher quality AFC South potential division winning type of team. But through three weeks so far, what have you seen around you with this team, Matt?
2: I think you have just seen a lot of like – kind of like Shane said, like just a lot of resiliency. Uh, we got a lot of tough football players. um, I think everyone's kind of bought into what we're doing here and, you know, a lot of, you know, playing off of each other, defense getting stops, and offense trying to pick up, picking up where others aren't. If the D struggling, we get an offensive touchdown. And so I think being able to be a complete football team and being able to have everyone kind of buy in and get behind um, Anthony Richardson and support him and his role, and um, I think we're just a tough football team that, you know, is buying into – a new culture and character that, you know, Shane Steichen has is, is brought and put in.
1: All right. In closing here, I lied, too. I said I was going to make this quick, and I didn't. My you're bad. Good, <laughs> Matt Gay joins us. What do you think uh, you can make? Like, what's the longest distance? And not just feeling comfortable in, but where do you think that you have a legitimate opportunity the furthest away on the field, kicking-wise?
2: Um, I don't know. I'm not going to – Speculate too much on that. I do know that I had a kick on last year, um, and they do like the track man on like one of the Sunday night football games where you make it from 50, and then it says would have been good from right this far. I had like a 57 yarder in that game, and the track and thinks that it would have been good from 68. So I think when I am in a good mode and I'm in the rhythm and I make good contact with the ball, I think. And that's you know in good conditions obviously I think you know you're inside and in a dome or something like that where um, but that was that felt like a really good swing and connected well on it and so that said it would that said it would have been good I don't know how accurate those things are um, that's just what it said it would have been good from 68 so. Did, I'll, go, I'll go with that.
1: Did Did you guys come up with a distance where, all right, our, our offense has to get us to this point on the field to give you an opportunity on Sunday? Or was that just a given when they ran you out there?
2: Um, I think every game you get out there and you kind of – you warm up, you test yeah. the conditions. I'm inside. Hey, we got wind going this way. And so you kind of got to let them know so they know the scheme offensively. Um so you let them know, hey, going this way, I'm good from the 35. And going this way, I'm good from the 40. And then, hey, if we really need one, you know, desperation, something like that, you can add a couple extra yards on top of that um, if it's a must-have, must-make type situation. Um, so that, that's like a game-to-game thing depending on where you're playing and the conditions, windy, things like that. You kind of go through that pre-game and figure out what lot, yard line you're going to be good from. Uh, each direction per
1: game kind of selfishly here uh the one thing you can't do on sunday now because you've been on the show with me is miss anything whatsoever okay <laughs> <laughs> don't. i don't want to be yeah. one of the reasons as to why that happens but i'll be honest with you i felt compelled to reach out to you because of what shane said in the locker room afterwards talking about perseverance that was a perseverance win yeah and then and in, in knowing your career and where you are right now and that describes you to a t i I just think the dynamic here over the weekend was really cool matt i really think it was i'm really happy for you that that was Uh, and again i know you're a super bowl champion but man that was a really cool moment i thought on sunday
2: that was really special man it was was a cool game a cool team win to be a part of and uh it was a a moment i'll you know i'll never forget hold on to that forever so we got uh good thing going on here all right Stay
1: blacked out, okay? Stay Appreciate focused. It. And uh, we'll have you on again soon, Matt. Thank you.
2: All right, thank you so much. Appreciate
1: it. It's uh, Matt Gay right there, the Colts with us, the place kicker on the Andy Moore Automotive and Group hotline. I told you he had a great story. He has a great story. And I when I heard Shane Steichen say that in the locker room postgame, I thought, I reached out to Matt Conti over there and I said, I want to get this guy on because this guy has had a career just like that. Uh, He started with considerable downs, drafted in the fifth round, feel good as a place kicker. He got cut. He was here in 2021 on the practice squad, won a Super Bowl with the Rams, and then became the highest-paid kicker in the NFL with the contract that was offered and then signed to him in the offseason by Chris Ballard. It is an amazing road traveled. Great story from Matt Gay right there. If you missed any of it, the podcast 107.5thefan.com. Quick break, we'll come back. Bullseyeeventgroup.com, Colts VIP tailgate passes I have for you. And, again, the info on your chance to win Morgan Wallen tickets coming up in April. He's going to kick off his tour at Lucas Oil Stadium. Your chance to win those tickets coming up as well. 93.5 and 107.5thefan. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Potline Joining us covers the Pacers, S.I. Pacers, Forbes Sports, WTHR.com. Locked on Pacers. I, I think basically if it has an at in front of it, Tony East, our next guest, is a part of it right here if it involves the Pacers. Uh, Tony is with us. What would you make of Chad Buchanan's words regarding Buddy Heald yesterday, Tony? Let me go ahead and Are you there, Tony?
0: I am here. Am I, am I on?
1: My- yeah, you, you are now. Yeah, you are. Okay. That was a brilliant intro, by the way, too. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I figured the silence would would speak more than anything I could possibly say, right? (laughs) Um, (laughs) I think it was about what I expected to hear from the Pacers yesterday. You know, it's a tough spot just with the season being so close. It's funny, I would say that, you know, usually closer to camp, teams aren't so inclined to trade. You know, their guys are in town, they're ready to go, but there was just a massive NBA trade today. I don't know if we'll get to that or not.
1: So oh, we will, no doubt, yes.
0: <laughs> you know, with Buddy, it's interesting because, you know, as an expiring contract, right, I think the sequence of events that has happened is about exactly what has made sense for a while, right? We've probably talked about that three, four times on this show alone. Just it makes sense that if this is the same case with Miles Turner last year, if there's no extension to be had, they have to look to trade their veterans. They're not good enough to be in a position to ride it out. And, you know, who knows what Hield's value actually is on the open market but it sure sounds like they have to consider all those options even though they know that bringing him into the season is fine right i think that that was the only thing that we didn't know what they would say yesterday is are they expecting he to start with them and be happy in camp and you know he's in indy already basically the whole team is and so him being ready to go is good for the pacers things can obviously change around the league end with the team but it seems like he said basically exactly what i expected which is you know we're at a little bit of a, a halt right now, and we'll see where this goes. But for now, it'll be the status quo until something changes. Right,
1: Tony East talks Pacers via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I don't know. Some people have suggested, Tony, I, I have overblown this situation. And I understand what he has behind him. You know, the the younger generational players that also play spots and, and could ultimately have roles like his yeah. on this particular team. And I also know my stance in the past that they have to get better defensively, especially on the perimeter, especially out front here. And that doesn't really equate to wanting to keep Buddy healed into his 30s. I just – to me, hesitate to want to part with somebody that I believe is elite-level three-point making. And if you take that aspect away and especially even when he doesn't have the ball Tony and you see defenses when they rotate scrambling because they got to tag him and then ultimately leaving somebody else open and screwing up defensively because of his presence out there you'll lose that I think that that is more of a loss than what this team ultimately makes up defensively on the perimeter and that would concern me if they feel the need to trade him or if he's not going to be a part of this team in the short term future.
0: Absolutely. It's one of my favorite genres of defensive clips of teams defending the Pacers because it's not its not that defenders realize they're too far from Buddy Heald and they rush to close out like they panic, right? Like they're tripping over themselves trying to get out to him because of the spacing he provides. If they're too far away, the Pacers have a very good chance of getting a lot of points. Like shooting 42.5% from three is, is just fantastic. And you know, that was kind of one of the arguments I made a lot last summer, right? There was a lot of chatter about the Turner with the Lakers and all that. I kept saying, you know, I get why the Pacers would do it and no one knew how good Tyrese Halbert would be last summer, but like healed specifically, that spacing makes it easier for these young guys who are developing, right? If they can basically be playing four-on-four four because he's got a defender holding his jersey on the opposite side or someone has to chase him around the court when he's doing his crazy stuff to get open, that helps everybody else, even if he necessarily isn't additive in a lot of other ways. So even if he is on the wrong side of 30, he is still a helpful player. To their rebuild and to their development in that way, and so it didn't make sense for them to just usher him out in any sort of way. And I still feel the same way, but now they have the added benefit of knowing that Halburn is really good, knowing that they want to be good, and knowing that Halburn and Heels fit really well together. Right, like even if you have Halburn out there but take healed out, that's a four-point offensive rating swing for the Pacers. Like that's still really significant. So he does all these things well. He makes their best player play at his best. He Makes our development easier. Of course, his age and who knows how you know if he'll ever decline, he's got a pretty age free skill set. Like he should be pretty good for right. a while, but you never know when the decline could be coming and you never want to be at the team stuck holding the bag and you can't lose guys for nothing in the stage of the Pacers rebuild, but he does provide a lot of pros to their team right now.
1: What do you think the timetable ultimately will be? Here, do you think at some point this season, trade deadline wise, he will be dealt, or do you think they they reach some sort of common ground here for something for the future? What do you think happens?
0: Honestly, it might depend how well they're playing. You know that, like with Turner last year, they were just still playing so well, and he was playing an absolutely perfect role for him, and every everything changed perfectly for Miles Turner to instead of being traded, sign an extension last year. And right. Rick Carlisle even addressed that around the trade deadline. He said, you know, they didn't do a ton, right? They got Warren and some other guys. But he said, this thing would have been different if, you know, we had an extended miles, right? Because they have to think that way. So to me, it would be, you know, m- maybe if something comes into their lap, right, they're pretty opportunistic. They have jumped in on these big trades before. Maybe if something comes into their lap, of course, they'll hop on it. But I would think that, you know, until a lot of the rest of the league can be traded in mid-December or even when all of the league basically can be traded come early January, things would really heat up, especially because then the Pacers would know how good they are. They would know how likely they are to keep healed or how much of a contract gap they truly have. And that's when things could truly heat up. And Turner's extension was not too long after that January 15th date earlier this year, if you'll remember. So I would say that.
1: Ooh, I remember Tony. If there's somebody that remembers that, (laughs) it would be me.
0: (laughs) That is exactly right. So there's a true timeline to be had. I would say that like January is the perfect time for these teams to assess and figure that out, but that assumes that everything has gone well for the Pacers throughout the season, too, right? If they're doing awesome or awful, they might have their goals. That would that would certainly change the timing.
1: It's, uh, Tony East joins us talking to Pacers here with us on the Andy Moore Automotive. Group hotline, yeah, it's funny. I I guess there's some sort of an irony here. I brought this up in the first segment that, you know, everybody around here is excited about Obi Toppin and his offensive skill set, and a lot of that came late in the season against the Pacers. (laughs) That excitement was built (laughs) on that Pacer defense late this past season.
0: That's right. Yeah, it's uh, going to be fascinating to see what he can bring and how that enhances the team. And, uh, you know, his stats playing starter minutes, like, are so strange to me just because – it's, all, it's all, it all, Like, they're so good or, like, so infatuating to see that it's almost like, how could the Knicks not find him more minutes? And I know the answer, right? Julius Randle's great. They made the second round last year. Like, they made a lot of smart decisions. But there's a lot of stuff that you think, huh, if if he has a bigger role, that could be something that helps the Pacers. But at the same time, they did just draft Jarris Walker. They do have hopes to improve defensively. It be not known for that end of the floor. but. You know, there's a chance that you know, the Pacers fans, saw close, what was it, 62 points? I think in those two games against the Pacers late in the season. I'm trying to pull it up as I talk. But like he could just be an element they've just never had. And, yeah. yeah at, at athleticism could. Yeah. Uh, 36. I sold him short. 36 points in those two games against the Pacers late in the year last year. Like, it's it's ridiculous to think about how much he could pop, especially playing with Halliburton. Right. They have very complementary skill sets. Last year, as a starter, he only played in five games. He scored 109 points in those five games, shot 58% and 44% from deep. We'll see if that can maintain the through the Pacers. You have to think that consistent opportunity, and if you're top you have to think that knowing what your role is going to be every game could be go a long way for both parties. Uh,
1: Tony East covers the Pacers. Again, SI Pacers, Forbes Sports, WTHR.com, Locked on Pacers. With us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, w- what do you think this Pacer team of the offseason made uh, the most strides and what do you think is still certainly if not significant still a glaring and noticeable hole in their game as we get ready to start the season
0: I still think they might struggle with one of the defensive things that they've struggled at for five years maybe and that's these bigger wings right and that you know they definitely added defensive talent Jairus Walker who knows how good he'll be he's a rookie rookies can sometimes Struggle with the speed of the game, although Summer League certainly suggests he could hold up fine. But, you know, uh, he, he could be that guy someday, but he's a rookie. And Bruce Brown is a strong defender. He can defend the point of attack pretty well, but he's also six four, right? So I'll be curious um, how they can do against the same kind of bulky wing types that maybe not even, not even the Stars, right? Those guys destroy everybody. I'm not talking about the LeBron, Kawhi level guys. I'm talking about, like, Harrison Barnes will have – a 30-point game against the Pacers basically every year. It feels like O.J. Ananobi has good offensive games against the Pacers every year. Gordon Hayward you know, exceeds his averages against the Pacers every year. These are good players, to be to be certain, but they're guys that are always playing above their expectation because they're either being guarded by somebody smaller than them or being guarded by a poor defender. And so that's kind of something that, like, they added fours. Toppin and Walker are both good fits and guys worth investing in and seeing what they can be, but who knows if they can be the guy that actually helps them in that way. I think they'll still have to do – some work there because they added a lot to their positives this summer, right? They, they did get better at, at point of attack defense. They're going to be awesome in transition. They're still going to shoot well, right? All these stuff that's going to be fun to watch and make them a good team. But I still think they're going to struggle with that. Um, and if they lose Buddy, they didn't add a ton of shooting this summer. And I'll be curious what that looks like for them this year because Hal Burton by himself is a walking efficient machine and he can make three small over the floor. But if they lose Buddy, they might have lost some shooting and still be struggling with those big wings on defense. And I'll be curious how that will all kind of work together for them.
1: And by the way, Tony, in closing here, this is the stuff I love. You mentioned the Damian Lillard deal to Milwaukee within the past hour plus or so here. And I think it was Rob Perez's account had had tweeted out, had X'd out, if you will, a video before the All-Star team selection with Giannis as the team captain selecting Damian Lillard. And, and you know, that it, it's interesting because that, I'm not suggesting that played a role in this whatsoever, but those are the subtle things that these stars can offer to help bring guys that maybe you wouldn't think would end up in their city or their market to them to join their team. So it's just kind of funny to see that, but that that change is certainly the dynamic, does it? Not in the East with Lillard joining, you know, Giannis and Milwaukee going into this year? 100%, yeah. I
0: mean, Milwaukee was maybe not a ton internally, but at least in sort of generally was kind of being viewed as a team in flux, right? After some of the stuff Giannis has come out and said this summer, everybody was wondering what their season would look like and how they'd respond to his comments. Well, how about that for a response? I mean, going out and getting Damon Lillard is as strong of a response as you can have. And yeah, they've talked about like subtle hints of how they would pair together for years. I think most of their connection or just their affinity for each other Dame and Giannis was just that they were kind of the two loyal stars of the NBA, right? Both sticking with their smaller market team, thick and thin. And in Giannis's case, that led to a championship. Not so much in Dave's case, but now they're actually paired together. And it was interesting because a few weeks ago, it was kind of like, you know, okay, should teams be preparing for Giannis to exit the Bucs? Like, should they are the, are they going to have to think that way if if he isn't going to sign an extension next year because they aren't going on on a title? And now it's like, wow, beating this Bucks team is going to be super tough. And the Pacers specifically have to play them four times a year. and you know, the East might run through Milwaukee now if they have Dame and Giannis and Middleton still. They took a hit without Drew. He's a great player. I think all 29 other teams in the league should be calling Portland about Drew Holiday. But, man, is Milwaukee going to be good now?
1: Yeah, no doubt about that. What are you writing about, Tony?
0: Uh, more stuff, Chad Buchanan said yesterday. Mainly I think the one that will interest some, some listeners here is Benedict Matherin being the starter going into camp. We'll see where that comes out of camp, but that's currently – uh, the internal leader in the clubhouse for that off-ball guard spot with heel being presumably with the second unit in that case, and a couple other things about stuff to watch for in Pacers Camp, which begins in five days. Crazy to think about.
1: Five days, and it's really good to see DeAndre Ayton ended up someplace else other than here. Outstanding.
0: <laughs> you and I are on the same wavelength with that forever, so we, uh, <laughs> we can finally stop talking about that one. That is good right there. Hey,
1: Tony, man, it's good to have you back, and I'm sure we'll do it over the course, certainly uh, before the season starts and once it's officially underway. I appreciate
0: you. You got it. Thank you for the time, as always. Andy
1: Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Kevin Bowen from the Morning Show joins us. You guys need to make this into your new morning show song right here. What do you think?
3: Does this work for you, Kev? Yeah. Can you can can you walk me through the context on it?
1: It is called Wham Bam Shang a Lang. There's really no context there. I just think it sounds like you guys. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I will make sure that uh, Andy catches <laughs> wind
1: of that, and yeah, yeah. It just sounds like to, uh, sounds like you guys. That. I, I just I, I, like <laughs> picture the sun rising, and you two, you know, meeting the sunrise and the dawning of a new day with your oh. listeners in the morning, and and uh, from nineteen seventy six, playing Silver and Wham Bam a Lang. I think that sounds like you guys right there.
3: And then we can go with the rebrand that you always wanted—the morning wood, right?
1: The morning that wood. We yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I don't. I don't want anything hard, anything like that. I just, yeah. And I know Mark. Mark thinks he's like DJ Junior over there too. I mean, just let me handle this, right? Let me handle it. So.
3: Well, maybe yeah, Mark could open up for you one Saturday night. Although today we had a field day with Mark. I don't know if you caught it, but know, about a month ago, Mark decided that he would play a highlight of. What's the guy's name? Pete Crow, whatever whatever the prospect's name is for the Cubs, he, he played a highlight of him catching a fly ball.
1: Yeah, really? yeah, the guy like with that? three names. Those guys with three names are all yeah. clowns. Yeah, all clowns. Everyone with three okay. names.
3: Several times today, to Mark, wouldn't you love to play a clip of a Cubs outfielder catching a fly ball today? Obviously. That did hey, not happen
1: last night. Well, here we get in honor of Mark Diting in the morning on the morning show. Uh, DJ Junior Junior over there. Hey, Kev, let's go ahead and rock this for him. Hit it. 3-2. In the air, out towards right center. Suzuki the call. Oh, no, oh, no, no. Oh! Oh, my goodness. And two-run score. Suzuki called off Bellinger. And just the miscommunication, or maybe he lost it in the lights. And, I'm not sure. I'm thinking maybe some lights at the end. The trajectory of that fly ball, that's what we see in a lot of ballparks. Hey, Kev, that's the Cubs <laughs> television network. That's too bad. Yeah, lost it in the lights. He just missed it. He flat missed it. He oh, didn't yeah. lose anything in the lights.
3: Yeah. You got to love the immediate. Oh, let's go to the excuse. And I said this to Mark. I go, it sounded like Rick Venturi when the Jalen Hurts parting of the seas happened last year against the Colts. The, oh, no. <laughs> have Boog Shambi and the color guy in unison on that? Absolutely. Too good. Too, and you know what? It'll probably come back to bite me tonight.
1: Oh, yeah, me too. Tonight,
3: yeah. yeah. But, boy, for one night, that. It
1: surely felt good. I uh, It will definitely come back to bite me whenever I talk about the Reds. In any good capacity, they end up gagging something away immediately. But I also have this to play. I, I've noticed this, Kev. If I don't watch the Reds, they always do better. If I watch them, they're a mess. If I don't watch them, then they have a, a pretty good opportunity.
3: Wow. Well. Six ten tonight. We need you doing something else. Does Blake have a cross country meet?
1: I don't oh man, I don't know. Maybe there's some soft core on someplace I can tune into. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, John's tuning into Tyree Hill and his post uh playing days. <laughs> you know, you know, as a uh, a post athlete career, that's not a bad career choice, is it?
3: Oh, no, no, certainly. I, I can think of a lot worse career choices to be paid for than that. Yeah, I I would say I don't know. Maybe injury wise, you could still have a few injuries with that. But yeah, yeah, I I can think of a yeah I, I can think of a lot a lot worse things to be paid for than that.
1: He could still like be nicknamed the cheetah, and that too. Right,
0: sure, sure, yeah. sure, sure. Yeah.
1: But uh, in case you didn't know, this Tyree Kill said after football he wants to be a porn star.
3: the mike evans reaction he may want to to be that i I I bet he wants
1: to be that during football too to be honest with you but yeah i
3: don't know if you heard the clip but mike evans reaction to it is priceless he's just stunned silence for about five seconds he has no idea what to say to it
1: It's Kevin Bowen, The Morning Show. It is the uh, morning wake-up call. He and Andy Sweeney get to going at uh, 7 a.m. every weekday morning here on The Fan and catch with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So, a lot of good news out there today, I guess, right? I mean, you get Matt Gay, who was all with me, Special Teams Player of the Week, which was an absolute given, slam dunk, and then you get back at practice and full participation, both Ryan Kelly and Anthony Richardson. So, that's good news.
3: Yeah, great, great looking injury report. Obviously, Richardson and Kelly being the biggest news. And, you know, the return of Richardson speaks for itself. That storyline's pretty obvious. I think the return of Kelly in a week you're facing Aaron Donald um, obviously matters too. So I don't, don't want to lose sight of that. And plus, you got to remember, John, you know, think back to Kelly's, you know, earlier concussion in his NFL career. I mean, he missed over a month. So I think anytime you have guys like that that have had a long history with it, you're always curious, okay, what happens when they when they get that next one? So, good news there. Um, yeah, Buckner and Nelson, probably just veteran rest days on a Wednesday. I think they're just kind of managing things with Nelson.
1: So, I thought Zach yeah, Moss pretty- would get that today. Did you? Yeah, I was surprised. Yeah, I me too.
3: Shane Sykin earlier today, I go, you know, how do you feel coming out of Monday? I mean, 30 carries is no joke, especially for a guy that's not really used to that workload. Um, but, yeah, he didn't even pop up on the injury report at all. So, uh, I would say good news on, uh, on that front as well.
1: How do you view this team right now? Because I, I said this yesterday, Kev. I said, listen, Colts fans, it's been so few and far between in recent history. Uh, go ahead and, and soak it up a little bit here. I mean, and soak it up. Get excited. Because really, I talked about this in terms of the Pacers of a year ago. And they gave everybody in December, a reason to get excited about their product. Now, you know, ultimately, they didn't make the postseason. I don't think anybody's selecting the Colts to go to the postseason right now, but you look at their schedule, and it's conducive to doing some work here, and certainly this team looks better than what we thought it was going to look like moving forward. Where are you with this squad, and are you okay with Colts fans maybe going a little bit overboard with the love right now?
3: Yeah, I mean, when you compare it, or you kind of throw this out there, Two and one sitting atop the AFC South, sole possession. The last time they've been sole possession of the AFC South, you gotta go back sixty weeks. Sixty weeks in the football season. You gotta go back to the middle of twenty nineteen for the last time this franchise has been in sole possession of this division, you obviously would call pretty pretty lowly. So I, I think if you put in those terms, obviously it's twenty two be happy about it then I'd say the other thing John that stands out to me too is yeah you know, think back to week three last year they beat Kansas City in a game that obviously you beat the Chiefs you beat Mahomes it's going to be celebrated as it should be but I think that was a game where you just got a lot of gifts in that game And I, I don't think Baltimore certainly had winning chances on Sunday Yeah. but I don't exit Baltimore thinking the same way I thought about Kansas City plus Look at the other eight quarters from last season to this season. The eight quarters from last year, week one and week two, you were fortunate to tie week one. You were down, what, three scores in that game. Week two, you get shut out in Jacksonville. Obviously, week one this year, I think you had a great chance to have beaten Jacksonville. Oh, yeah, you had a fourth-quarter lead in that game. And then week two, I thought that was a pretty impressive effort. Against the Texans to win a road divisional game, multiple scores, all of that—that's something this franchise hasn't done, you know, in a long time either. So I think when you factor some of that stuff in, of uh, the, the the full kind of twelve quarter sample size, even you know when you compare Baltimore and, and Kansas City, the road game versus the home game, those sorts of things, I think there's plenty of reason for Colts fans to you know be happy about their football team right now, be happy about their head coach, some of these young guys. You know, two and one at the end of September is not something we said about this franchise in a while. I think it's only like the third time in the last 10 or 11 years. So I think when you add all that up, certainly a reason
1: to be happy yeah and and again the Rams because we got to watch them and kind of size them up on Monday night and and I'm I'm assuming most everybody out there believes them to be as beatable as they were in Cincinnati on Monday night and a team that you know compared to even the team that Matt Gay was on that won the Super Bowl it is certainly a skeleton of its former self and you got that game Sunday the Titans back at home on the road at Jacksonville and then Cleveland and the Saints back-to-back toward the end of October, I mean, it does give you, I think, reason to look ahead and just kind of wonder if they can continue to do some things and and really in in winning moment things, Kev. Like, we didn't see them do that in the fourth quarter. They gave up 14 points. Offense didn't do anything in the fourth quarter and that opener against Jacksonville. But recently they've been doing things late in games to put away teams that we haven't seen a lot of in recent history.
3: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, fourth-quarter issues were, you know, wildly abundant last year. We even saw that in that Jacksonville game, and I guess if you want to point to the Houston game, you you can even point to that. So, I mean, they certainly made less mistakes than Baltimore, Um, and I thought Shane Steichen really outmanaged John Harbaugh in that game, and John Harbaugh, that's kind of what he's known for, Um, whether it was clock management situations, whether it was, you know, little coaching moves, field position, things like that. I thought, you know, Shane Steichen certainly had the upper hand there, you know, a big reason why at the start of the schedule, you know, I just don't think the schedule is very daunting at all. And you just beat, I'd say, arguably, your best quarterback you'll face all year. We'll see what Joe Burrow looks like in December. But, I mean, you look at the, the, the quarterback you have upcoming. Matthew Stafford would rank pretty high on the list. But, I mean, he just got drilled on Monday night by Cincinnati. And we're talking 10 hits, six sacks. It looks like, I haven't seen the Rams injury report just yet for this week, but it looks like the Colts are going to face a backup left tackle for the fourth straight game, which is just a crazy situation. The Colts have faced so many backup offensive linemen this year, and outside of Ryan Kelly, they've obviously been really, really healthy. So um, I, I, I fully expect them to win on Sunday. I know it might be a little bit early in the week for, for that, but I look at that line as a one-point favorite and think um, think the Colts should be favored by more just because – I see a Rams team that obviously they've got, you know, I think you know, Stafford, whatever, he's a Hall of Fame caliber player. Obviously, Donald's the first ballot guy. As long as you don't let those two beat you, and they really haven't been great this year. Donald hasn't been, and by great, I mean their usual self. Donald, from a disruption standpoint, has been good, but his sack numbers are not like crazy, crazy eye-popping. And Stafford, with little help around him, I think has struggled. So, yeah, I think it's a terrific opportunity to uh, continue it. And then, as you said, four or five at home. and. The one road game in that stretch is Jacksonville, which they'll be coming off of two games in London. So you you would think that almost plays to your advantage as well.
1: Yeah, and uh, from what we've seen from them so far, really not so much. One of these days it may be – who knows – But it may start to become reminiscent of 2012, in which we'll talk about in a second. Kevin Bowen joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Maybe this is more of a question for Rick Venturi. Maybe it's a question you and I should both ask Rick. But Bernard Ryman, he's not getting a lot of conversation, which can be really good because that means you're doing your job. Um, should we be talking about him a little bit more considering this is his second year and there just hasn't been a lot of conversation regarding him and, and what he is doing and it seems like what he is doing is pretty good through the first three weeks of the season.
3: Yeah, I think it's a great point to bring up. Um, yeah, I think he's been really, really good and obviously it's been quiet over there. Maybe you haven't faced you know the dynamite edge rushers just just yet, but still um he's really I think kind of established himself on that left side and you know obviously one of the few very few individual bright spots late last season of you knew you had to commit to him playing I mean he played two years of tackle in college it's not just like he was you know new to football you know what what 13 or 14 years old I'm trying to think when he started playing American football over in Austria he was a tight end initially at Central Michigan, and then you know transitioned to a tackle, and you know had to put on weight in the off season. He's put on a little bit of weight. I think if you see him and just compare to like what you what you would remember about him as a rookie, he definitely looks different to me physically. And that's such a big storyline, him and Quitty Pay. I mean, I, I know that you know we're not going to hit on that to the magnitude that you hit on the Richardson storyline or the Taylor storyline or the Leonard stuff. But if Ryman and or Pay if they hit, now all of a sudden you you know, theoretically crossed off a major position on your football team that you've been searching for answers for for quite some time. And I would say the early signs for for, for both of them, to be honest with you, are pretty positive. Um, and I would say Ryman especially, which is just so critical to, you know, finding potentially a third round pick that, you know, could be blocking the line side like, you know, Tar and Glenn did for Peyton Manning for all those years, and obviously Anthony Costanzo did for Andrew Luck as well.
1: Who would you view right now, again, knowing what you know? And, Kev, it can drastically change, certainly with one situation over the other. But who do you think? moving forward the rest of the year coming off of injury and we certainly look forward to to having both back and we'll see how one does over the other here. But who do you think is going to be more important in the grand scheme of things offensively moving forward upon their return? Jelani Woods or Jonathan Taylor?
3: Um, I, I... I still think it's Taylor. I I, I mean, I, I certainly understand where the question's coming from. And obviously, Zach Moss has had a really nice couple of games. I think a running back sustaining that for, you know, 15 more or 14 more, that's a lot to ask for. I mean, there are a few Zach Moss runs on Sunday that I thought to myself, boy, if that's Taylor in the open field, that that goes for another 10, 15, maybe even more than that. Um And also I think about just what that trio could look like of him, Richardson, and Moss, of you really need your run game. I just don't think, even with Richardson, I just don't think you're going to be an incredibly explosive passing offense. So being reliant on that run game and having, okay, here's Taylor for the first two series, and then boom, all of a sudden Moss comes into the game when you've kind of worn them down and his power... Uh, is 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 fresh? I think that would be huge. You know, tight end. Obviously, you are searching for some consistency. I'm still not ready to say like Woods is 1,000 percent that guy just yet. Certainly, you want to see him. Uh, but it has been a group that you know, Kylan Grantson for a game, and then Will Mallory for a game, and then Drew Ogletree for a game, and Mo alley Cox has really been a disappearing act from a reception standpoint this season. But
1: he follows us though. Say, That's family. sweet. He is following
3: us. <laughs> yeah. yes he is. I know. I, I did not hear him though after the Jacksonville game, when we all picked the Jags.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, and, and it's okay. I, I think it's great that he did retweet that. Um, maybe somebody that actually had done something in the game could have done it too, but yes, <laughs> he, he did. And that's, that's cool. I, I, I shouldn't be throwing shade at Mo Alley Cox because we should embrace that. That was pretty cool.
3: Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I would say to Mo, you know, certainly that we probably deserve it after that. So, um, yeah, it, I did laugh a little bit, considering who the player was. But Mo is a good dude, and and yeah, he is. When you have yeah. something like that, uh, you're going to get uh, wh- whatever called out for it.
1: Yeah, I, I just, I, I guess I made that comparison too, and I, I believe with what you're saying, we're going to Jonathan Taylor. But I think most are more skeptical about what is going to happen once he gets off a of pup, and then the obvious because you got zero from that tight end position on Sunday is that Jelani Woods upon return, you know, needs to turn in. To something here. I mean, we, we see slowly but surely a lot of these other guys. I brought up Ryman, you know, you brought up Quiddy Pay. Uh, you guys had Juju Brents on Monday. He got that first action on Sunday and really backed up the selection and you know, backed up why the Colts have that inspired confidence in him. And, and now it's time for Jelani Woods because there is a lot. We've talked about how that tight end room has a lot of bodies in there, but it was unproductive bodies on Sunday. He needs to be a difference maker from that group.
3: Yeah, and I don't want to sound like I'm piling on Mo because I was probably more of a fan for him making the roster than most at the end of the preseason. But you do get a point if and when Jelani Woods gives you something and you start thinking about the numbers of tied in. I mean, they've had a tight end as a healthy scratch each week this season, even with Jelani being out. So when Jelani returns, theoretically – that would mean two tight ends are healthy scratches you know you start to think about mo and you know maybe from a blocking standpoint he's given you a little bit more there, but you know I look at Ogletree and I look at Mallory and and you know Grantson's a different type of tight end and what Wood showed you last year and think maybe there's a little bit more with those guys in the receiving um, in the receiving department than you've gotten from mo so I do think that's a question that, I don't know, is maybe super pertinent right now because obviously Woods is on injured reserve for at least one more week and then he's eligible to return next week. But I do think that's a relevant question because you do have some, you know, third, fourth, fifth-round picks in there. And those are certainly guys that, you know, when you talk about the tight end position in the NFL, I mean, those picks can hit. Mark Andrews, third-round pick. George Kittle, fifth-round pick. So, you know, making sure that you've – what you've spent – in those areas those guys can become you know bona fide tight ends so um i am very curious to see kind of how all that is going to shake out
1: so kevin Bowen the morning show is the morning wake-up call with kb and andy that's andy sweeney with us via the andy moore Automotive group hotline, so you pretty secure in the fact that Anthony Richardson is going to get the call as starter coming up on Sunday. And then what have you gathered through three weeks regarding Shane Steich and, and his, his leadership, his guidance, and his coaching ability? Seems like he's acclimating very quickly to this group.
3: Yeah, I, I would say they just love the direct little bit more Nick Sirianni than Frank Wright Fire out of them as well. Obviously, they feel like he's a very smart football coach. That's pretty pretty obvious. But, um, you know, I think Frank Reich, you know, pretty smart. But I I think those guys at that age, I think some of the guys would admit this to you. They probably gravitate a little bit more towards the fiery personality. And I think Shane has more of that than maybe he gives off, certainly in front of the podium. And you can see that, whether it's a post-game locker room or, um, you know, mic'd up sessions, things like that. So. I think end game John, it stood out to me. I mean, I, I said it earlier, I thought he outmanaged John Harbaugh, and that to me is like a big deal when, you know, you're calling the plays offensively and you know, it's a 16-minute game and there's so many things that are happening over the course of a game. And, you know, whether it's a fair catch here, or a timeout here, or a decision to go forward on fourth down, I mean, those are so, so critical. And I think oftentimes when you are calling the plays, and Nick Sirianni is probably one that why he passed it off to Shane Steichen about midway through that. 2021 season it can be just overwhelming and and i don't feel like it's looked like that if anything he's been in full control and he's playing chess while others are playing checkers so i think colts fans should be very encouraged in game management um clearly how players have reacted to him and then obviously what he's done with the uh, quarterback as well
1: hey can we change up that cliche of chess versus checkers you want to do that let's do that make a formal announcement right now to change that how about we change it to he's playing Monopoly while he's playing Sorry. Is that fair? Because I mean, is. isn't, isn't yeah, yeah. Sorry, and again, I'm talking about board games, which I don't know, your generation play board games. Mine did. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah so oh, yeah, you remember definitely. Sorry? Yeah. Sorry was a – How about, about
3: Candyland? Can we get Candyland Yeah, well? he's
1: playing Sorry while he's playing – See, I think Sorry and Candyland are pretty close. Are they not? How about he's playing Mousetrap and he's playing – Candyland.
3: Yeah, I would agree that Monopoly makes sense there. So,
1: yeah, like, we, yeah. Did you ever play Mousetrap? Uh, did you ever play Mousetrap? I did not, no. Oh, Mousetrap is great. Just great. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, it's one of those things where, the, yeah, how do I explain it? Um, somebody could probably better explain it than I. Uh, you know, you roll some dice and you kind of set this thing up to where a mouse gets caught at the end of all this stuff going on. You got balls rolling and uh, okay, things coming yeah. down and, and, uh, yeah, wheel spinning, things like can that. Explain it. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Okay. I will take chess and checkers out of my brain and, and, and go with, uh, mousetrap
1: versus sorry i like stay alive with the marbles on the board and you slide you know you slide them in and out and whoever had the most marbles on the board still after you slide all those things is the winner stay alive trouble well, now re- it sounds
3: like a, it sounds yeah. like a tyree kill game now
1: <laughs> yeah, bu- trouble was the uh had the bubble in the middle of the board and you that's how you uh rolled the die inside the bubble that was trouble that recognizable to you yeah, yeah. Yes. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. The game of life. You have no idea what I'm talking about though, do you? I get it.
3: <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to think of one of the uh board games that, that we what what I mean, Life, Andy Land. Yeah. I love life. There's one other game. There was one other game that we played a ton. I'm trying to think of what it was.
1: I not always I sorry. always piled the uh the, the pink pegs in my car, meaning I had all the chicks in my ride in life. <laughs> Remember that? Because the blue pegs were the dudes, and the 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 pink pegs were the chicks, and I piled the chicks in my ride. Yeah,
3: right. And that was that was a dream dream scenario for you, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's what that's Nick Martin just brought this up. Uh, Mousetrap is the Rube Goldberg machine. If you ever seen that, Rube Goldberg, you ever heard of that? No, no, no. you haven't. That's something they do at Purdue. It's I don't know what the exact definition of it is. Uh, I should never bring it up without really knowing what it is. Um, but uh, anyway, that's that's what that comes down to, right there. Mousetrap, you can check it out. It's a it's a hell of a time. Hey, before I let you go, and I know I got to run really quick, I didn't want to get deeply involved in Jonathan Taylor, but somebody had brought this up to me regarding Dan Graziano of ESPN and his reference of Taylor still wanting to be traded and not wanting to play for the Colts. Are, are you with me? I, I just I don't see any other way if they don't trade him that he is not going to play here.
3: Yeah, I don't think he has a choice, right? No. <laughs> I mean, it, none. He, Zero. Because he's got to get, what, six games to get that yes. secured fourth season right. and whatever, hit free agency or whatever his goal is. So, yeah, I mean, I would – unless he wants to take a stance that, frankly, I don't know if we've ever seen. I'm, I'm trying to think when Le'Veon Bell held out, had he already deleted his rookie contract. I kind of forget when exactly all of that happened. But, yeah, yeah I, I, I mean, he's got to at least be on the field – first six games so uh, it, it sounds good but we're finally 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 starting to get to the point where uh deadlines are going to lead to to something here so yeah i mean he can be frustrated and cannot change his stance and all that but I mean, unless he's moved by october 31st uh he's gonna have to be out there for uh for six games and in and that clock and that 21 day window will start next week for him
1: don't you want to see him playing here i do
3: yeah, I, I mean, it goes back to the earlier point, John. I want to see him next to Richardson. I want to see him with Zach Moss, a little change of pace. I want to see, you know, I, I don't think the offense, I, I think the offense aligned late last season. Um, you know, did run block a little bit better, but I think they have done that as well. So, yeah, I, I think when the draft pick happened, you thought even right away, Richardson and Taylor would give you, you know, a, a pretty elite, you know, quarterback, running back duo. So, yeah, I, I would say that you certainly want to want to see that.
1: So what Kevin is suggesting right here, that the Colts are playing Monopoly while Jonathan Taylor and his reps, they're playing Candyland, right? <laughs>
3: yeah. Yes. yeah, exactly that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Judging by uh, judging by Taylor's agent and his actions, I think I'd love to play a board game with him because that dude doesn't strike me as the brightest bulb.
1: Morning show uh, with you and Andy Sweeney. What's going on tomorrow morning?
3: We have got – who do we have tomorrow? I think we're uh, back into our Thursdays with Scott Agnes, Pacers media day coming up. Uh, What is that, Monday, I want to say? Yep. But that training camp starts Tuesday. So, yeah, we'll get back into kind of more of our normal Pacers conversations and then uh, Joel Erickson as well to get his thoughts on what was, you know, a bit of a a newsy Wednesday for the Colts, but like you led off with, John, I'd say a pretty positive Wednesday when you think about the news items.
1: Tell Maddie hello and the rest of the family, Max and Rosie. Tell Max to keep on picking.
3: Will do, will do. Yep, it's time to pick some helmets here for week four. He uh, he was right with the Colts last week.
1: I did that with Blake back in uh, 06 or 07, I think. But He kept, like, crawling past the helmets. (laughs) (laughs) So where are you going, dude? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
3: we have the people that have that have observed Maxwell right hand dominance, so now they want the Colt helmet on the right uh, side.
1: Yeah, makes sense. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Uh huh. And I'm like, guys, he's 12 months old. I mean, he I, I, I just yeah he, he's he's crawling to a helmet. But <laughs> nonetheless, uh, so far he's uh, he's doing one of his picks, and I'm doing one. And Mo Ali Cox would be a fan of his pick, I guess.
1: Tell your father-in-law, I said hello too. <laughs>
0: All
3: right.
1: We'll do, John. Take it easy, brother. See ya.
3: See ya.